Heavenly Father, I pray that You would equip us with Your Word just now. In Jesus' name. Spiritual warfare. It's a term that not everyone is comfortable with. A few years ago now, I remember we were preparing a baptistry and angel for hosting another church that was without a, a baptistry. And I was talking with a guy in our kitchen who was going to be baptized. Um, it wasn't on the day of the baptism itself, but I believe it was the day before. And what we were talking, and he was sharing a little bit about his testimony. And uh, I said, Look, I'm going to be praying for you. Would you mind if I pray for you now? Um, you're going to, as a new follower of Jesus, no church background, no religious upbringing of any kind, really. He come to repentance and faith through the ministry of, of this church, was really drawn by the sense of community and the love that was present in this church body. And um, I, I said, you're going to be hit with reality of spiritual warfare. And uh, he said, oh, oh I, um, I'd rather not have any of that. I'd rather, I'd rather not have, uh, I, I don't know quite what that is, but I don't like the sound of it. Let's try and stay away from that. I said, okay, talk with your pastor about it, but this, there is no opt-out here. Uh, everyone who is in Christ has been drafted in to his army. Okay, there is no special clause, there is no special dispensation, there is no way that you can avoid the reality of spiritual warfare. And so I began to just have a brief conversation, and I I think he was somewhat prepared, and I'm very thankful to say that I still see him almost every week, and he uh, is continuing to press on in the Lord, which is great. Uh, Yet that has, as he now knows, not been without its struggles and its battles. How then can you and I engage in meaningful spiritual warfare? How can we be effective in spiritual warfare? Are you weary of being burnt and blistered every time Satan has a crack at you? Do you recognize the reality of spiritual warfare behind a lot of the situations that you encounter. Maybe, maybe this is new. Maybe, maybe you look at every day, maybe you've been looking at every day in a, a way that just kind of considers it for what it is in the moment without asking, could this be something spiritual? Is there something spiritual underlying it? Now, there's a, a little bit of a concern sometimes that we get to because uh, perhaps we have seen this language of spiritual attack and satanic attack and spiritual warfare in unhelpful overdrive, right? Where you are a Christian, you are walking with the Lord, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light, but there are people who, because you are encountering difficulties, are implying anyway that you need some kind of almost weekly spiritual deliverance, right? And, and th- there are groups, there are groups that I know of, there are people in the angel church who have been a part of those groups and have, have come out of those, those groups where um, if something is not checking the box 
of whatever uh, leader or, or, or um, guru or whoever is running this particular ministry. If some, something is not quite adding up to this individual's agenda, there's a blockage. There's a blockage. Or this person, I, I, I've been told one person said um, that, that the leader said, we can do nothing for you. You have to go. We can do nothing because, because this individual's real life situations persisted and all of the deliverance in the world, the weekly habits were becoming an embarrassment because problems still persisted. And this person clearly had faith and they were struggling to come up with an answer as to why this person still continued to be attacked. Christians, you will be attacked by Satan. He hates you. He hates us because of our stand in Jesus Christ. This passage in Ephesians 6 tells us how you and I can be effective Christian warriors. That is what you and I need to ask today. How can we be effective in spiritual warfare? Now, Sun Tzu was not a Christian. Sun Tzu was a uh, philosopher and wrote a manual that's used by many to this day for uh, kind of setting the, the foundational background to um, warfare training. He wrote a book called The Art of War. And this Chinese philosopher wrote, The art of war teaches us to rely not on the likelihood of the enemy's not coming, but on our own readiness to receive him. Not on the chance of his not attacking, but rather on the fact that we have made our position. He would go on to speak of how um, we should know the enemy, we should know ourselves, and if we do this, our victory will not stand in doubt. If you know heaven and know earth, you may make your victory complete. Now, while Sun Tzu was not a follower of Jesus Christ, while he was not uh, even a believer in Yahweh, uh, he had a grasp, I think, on Warfare and the principles can be transferred, I'm sure we may have already seen just from those quotes, to our own spiritual warfare. If you are entering into the Christian life, preparing as if Satan isn't going to attack, you will not do very well. If you approach every day assuming that every day is going to be okay, and that there's not going to be any spiritual challenge, you'll routinely find yourself on the floor. You know the enemy is real. As surely as there is God, there is Satan. As surely as there are angels, there are demons. And you and I are engaged in a cosmic conflict that is ravaging so many and destroying so many every day. It need not destroy you. First of all, we need to look at ability. Where are you finding your ability? Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. The word there for strong is uh, in the original language, in dunamaste, in dunamaste. And 
there's a, a word that is at the root of it, which is dunamis. Dunamis has a connotation of making strong, not just in a powerful way, but making able. Where is your ability? Are you finding your strength and ability, as Paul writes, in the Lord and the strength of His mind? That word dunamis, uh, I, I only reference that Greek word because we get a lot of our English words from it as well. Dynamics, you've heard of that, yeah? The, the, the motions, the, uh, the dynamics of a situation, if we're talking in theory, or uh, the, the dynamics of particular uh, principles, how things work, how things are able to function, right? There's another word, dynamite. Dynamite, powerful explosion, is caused by dynamite. So what we're talking about here is dynamic, dynamite ability. Dynamic, dynamite ability. That is the power of the Lord. That is the strength that He provides. It's not a strength that you or I can source from any other person. It's not a strength or ability that you and I can source from ourselves. It must be found in the Lord and the Lord alone. We see this throughout the Scriptures. If I could just take some of the examples from the author of this letter, life and ministry. Uh, Saul was Paul's Jewish name. It was his Hebrew name. There's a great meal made of Saul being Saul in Acts and then Paul elsewhere. And people act like that signifies and coincides with his spiritual transformation. As nice an idea as that is, it's nonsense. Um, he remained Saul to Jews. He remained Paul to Greeks. Paul, Paulos is a Greek name. Um, Shaul is um, a Hebrew name. Okay, so we, we just see with his... Uh, his gravitating more uh, eventually to calling to serve those who were of, uh, of Gentile background, Paulos is used more than Saul. Shaul. It, it's um, in Acts 9.22, though, we see he's, in our English, Saul. It says, Saul increased all the more in strength. The same word, the same root word, dunamis, is used there for strength. He increased all the more in strength. This is right after his conversion. This is right after his road to Damascus experience where he's en route to enslave and prison and execute believers in Jesus. He encounters the risen Lord Jesus and he is completely transformed by his power. He is healed of his momentary blindness by a servant of the Lord and he begins to go throughout Damascus telling of Jesus. Now let's be honest. This excites us when we read it in the past, but it would terrify us if we were there in Damascus in the present. Because, I mean, this guy, this guy, he's known to arrest Christians. It seems like he's playing an act, doesn't it? I mean, how do we know he's just telling people about Jesus to draw us out? And there definitely was, in, and we see it in Acts, some distrust. Among the believers. So what is the agenda here? But it became evident. 
that Saul's power and strength in the Lord was not something that was put on. He was not putting on an act as he particularly began to face and suffer persecution and endure in his faith through that persecution. People saw all the more, this guy is the real deal. Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And many of them, we see, came to repentance and faith. So far from taking of the Jewish background believers in Damascus to prison and likely their execution, remembering he, remember he was breathing out threats and murder. So people died because of this guy. They died because they were following Jesus Christ and he was catching them and throwing them in prison and leading them to be executed. Now, instead of that, he's in Damascus bringing people from darkness into light. It's powerful. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Paul would write to the church in Rome concerning Abraham, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Paul here is testifying to the dynamic dynamite power that God gives to a man, Abraham, in the context of this passage, who he says is as good as dead. He is as good as dead. His wife is as good as dead. They cannot have children in any non-miraculous way. And yet this man is continuing on. His wife is continuing on. They're growing strong. Abraham grows strong in his faith as he gives glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And God did. And God does to all who trust him for this dynamic, dynamite ability. Philippians 4, 12 through 13, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The same root word there, dunamis. It's dynamic, dynamite ability. Power that is given from the Lord. Now, we, we read that often and we, how, how many of you maybe have, I, I know I had a, a mug which um, had this, the latter part of this, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And it's great. And the reality is true. There's nothing wrong with t-shirts, mugs, or things to remind you of that truth. There's nothing wrong at all. But there's something wrong with our interpretation often. Often our interpretation is, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And this is um, when I win a big victory of some kind. And that's great. Yes, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But I, I don't really see this posted by Christian athletes when they encounter a drawback. You know, when they lose heavily. It's, 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 it's one we like to put out there when we win stuff. When we do well at something. But what about when we fail? What about when we lose? What about when we lack? People, they get a house, they buy a house. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I think we can say if, if any of us are able to get a house, if any of us have gotten a house in, in, this, in this current climate, in this city, yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. He's the one who provides. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Were it not for him, we wouldn't have what we have. But what about if we don't have that? What about when we lose? What about when investments 
completely collapse. And this is applied really from what Paul says. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. I can do all things through Christ, even be abased, even be in the gutter. And I can know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed uh, that I can do all things through Christ, even being full and even being hungry because Christ is my ability. I know and I can suffer need because I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I stand not in my strength, the strength of my prosperity or ability. I stand even in the Lord's strength whether I prosper or whether I'm impoverished. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If, if I'm in Christ and have His ability, I can uh, welcome prosperity in the right way, humbly, without letting it go to my head, without um, being distracted by the cares of this world. If I'm impoverished, I can uh, accept and can endure that poverty in the right mindset without becoming um, bitter, despondent, or distracted by my lack. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Colossians 1.11 Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Again, the same word. Dynamis. Dynamite. Dynamic. Ability. This is the strength we're talking about. In 1 Timothy 1.12 I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that He considered me trustworthy. <coughs> Pointing me to his service. Toward the end of his ministry, Paul would see many people abandoned. Many people would become afraid. Many people who stood with him. Many people who were faithful. Many people who knew the Lord. And this is a good reminder that you know, just because someone walks away or doesn't stand with us, yes, it might make them cowardly, but it doesn't mean that they're not the Lord's. We all, too, have been cowards. But God gives us boldness. He gives us strength. We stand in Him. And Paul testifies that though everyone left Him, no one stood with Him, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. It's right that Paul say, and you can, you can hear the disappointment in his voice, that all left him. It's right that he draw that to attention. Why? Because they were wrong. It was good and right for them to stay, for at least someone to stand with Paul. As he had stood with so many and for so many. He says, it's okay. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He gave me this dynamic, dynamite, spiritual ability and power so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul was able to even proclaim the gospel to the kings and authorities of his nation, and not just his nation, the Roman Empire. Dynamic dynamite ability. He said, uh, well, okay, so some people say Paul wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Others say, no, we don't think Paul wrote the letter to the Hebrews. There's no passage in Hebrews that says Paul to the Hebrews. It doesn't begin that way. Um, I'm not going to get into the mechanics of that or the debate around that, but uh, Hebrews 11.34 testifies to the faith 
of many in the Old Testament, how they quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Hebrews 11.34. Again, the same word. So with all of that, this is the ability that you and I have if we are in Christ. If we are strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, these passages that we have looked at are just a snapshot picture of the promises that we stand in. Our Lord does not leave us without strength. He does not leave us without ability. He does not leave us without power. Remember, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. So stand in His strength. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Second, awareness. Ability is very important. It's not your ability. It's that ability you find in the Lord. Awareness is critical. It's very important. You need to be aware, first of all, of your commander. You need to be aware of your combatant, who your enemy is. You need to be aware of your commission. What have you been sent to do? What is your purpose? Guys, without vision, the people perish. Okay? And that applies to your life personally as well. What is your vision? You do not have to live life fed up of going round and round in the same routine. Your routine you have been placed with and given for such a time as this. Stop despising what God has given you. Step into it with vision and purpose for God's glory. And if you believe that it is not truly who you are called to be, then step out of that routine and step into what you believe God has called you to be with accountability and responsibility of your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's critical we get this. We need to be aware of our covering as well, our armor. So first of all, be aware of your commander. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Repeatedly, verse 13, he says, take up the whole armor of God. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. He goes on and he unpacks these characteristics of this armor, of that covering that we have. But he he ties it all back to God. You need to be aware of your commander. Do you know the Lord your God? Joshua would say, choose this day whom you will serve. You're surrounded by all sorts of gods. Who will you serve? Will you serve the gods of this post-truth culture and therefore receive the fruit and the consequence that this world does not enjoy? Or will you serve the Lord? As for me and I, my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that your testimony? Who is the Lord? Do you, are, you, are you growing in your knowledge of who God is? Are you, you growing in your knowledge of what God has done? Or is God 
just this impersonal kind of inanimate being that's out there, this powerful force, but you don't really, not really plugged in to the source in any meaningful way. Now, people have an idea of God. People have an idea of a higher power. They have an idea of some supreme being. But, but that's not what we're preaching. We're not preaching just about a force. We're not just preaching about some supreme being or higher power. We're talking about God who made you, God who you and I have sinned against, God who despite that loves you, God who has made a way to save you, God who calls you by His grace, God who transforms you, God who actively chooses to be involved in your life. In Him we live and move and have our being. Paul would speak to the people in Athens. Do you know Him? Or do you know of Him? They're two very different things. Be aware of your commander in a deep, meaningful way. You need to be aware of your combatant. We like the idea of God. We like the idea of heaven. We like the idea of angels. We like the idea of salvation even. But we don't like really talking about what we're saved from, do we? We don't really like talking about Satan. We don't like talking about hell. But you cannot truly understand either side unless you understand both. Unless you're aware of and accepting that there are both. Who is your enemy? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Read that verse aloud with me. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, this is after Jesus is raised from the dead. Okay, it's after Jesus is raised from the dead that Paul is talking about an ongoing fight against Satan. Ongoing schemes by Satan. Peter would write about how the devil is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. He will flee from you. Satan is still there. Satan is still active. It, it befuddles me how anyone can look at this world with 8 billion plus people and a plethora of genocides, massacres, problems throughout human history since Jesus Christ, wars and rumors of wars, and, and act like Satan is not active. It, it doesn't make sense to me. There are some who would persist. The first five centuries following Christ's resurrection and ascension, we actively see an understanding of spiritual warfare and we actively see an understanding of demonic powers, principalities, authorities. We, we see an understanding that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Maybe at some point you could obtain a copy of the Ecclesiastical History of the English People by a guy named Bede. 
venerable Bede. Um, he, he, it's an interesting character, but he wrote the history, Brother Chola probably knows some of it, um, uh, of how the gospel came to Britain and how difficult it was. Some of the recordings that we see there, uh, I've heard people say, well, we don't think it really happened that way. Why? Well, because it was supernatural. What it records was supernatural. He talks about some things that are frankly really bizarre and records some incidents as fact that we have not felt in our own life experience. And so because we have not seen certain things in our life experience, some of us anyway perhaps, the the inclination is to cast doubt on the power. That's a big mistake. If, If we look at everything that's going on out there as mental illness, we're making a big mistake. People are still possessed. And there are ways that individuals can ascertain and discern where something is a mental illness and where something is possession. Demonic possession is real. And we don't like to talk about it. Frankly, I think more often than not, because we're, we're not always very equipped to stand against it. But there's a history throughout church history. The reformers, people are often surprised to see what they had to say on demonic possession and deliverance from it. When we start confronting the schemes of the devil, when we start shining the light as we've been called to, standing strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, he does work. In a very powerful way. Demons flee before his light. Take up, he says, as you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Your commission is to stand firm. Your commission is to take this armor, this covering that you become aware of, that he makes us aware of that we're about to unpack. And your commission is to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, for one another, and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Our commission is the same today as it was to the disciples when they were first given it. Go on the basis of his authority, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching all that he has commanded, knowing he is with us even to the very end. And finally, we need to be aware of our covering, that armor that he clothes us with. 
this is not the first time or the only time that we read of the armor of God. This is one of several passages which speak and tell us of the Lord's armor. In Isaiah 59, I draw your attention to Isaiah 59:15. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak, according to what they have done. So will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 picks up on spiritual warfare. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, that dynamic, dynamite ability and power, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, we have the armor of God. First of all, truth, the belt of truth. It it ties everything together. The picture here is of the Roman soldier's armor. That's the illustration Paul is given. And the the belt tied everything together without it. um, The apparatus, the sword, would not have a place to be held. The uh, breastplate would not fit tightly. The girdle would not fit properly. The, The truth... Is essential. Without it, we have nothing. And yet, we live in a world that is increasingly called post-truth. We have a world of your truth and my truth. And your truth is not necessarily my truth. Secularists live in the now and reject all forms of religious life and worship. Humanists emphasize reason, scientific inquiry, and human fulfillment in the natural world while rejecting the importance of belief in God. Postmodernists claim realities are plural, subjective, and dependent on worldview, and all are equally valid. Relativists propose that points of view have no absolute truth or validity within themselves, but rather only relative subjective value according to differences in perception and consideration. Pluralists accept two or more religious worldviews as equally valid or acceptable as paths to God or gods. Universalists believe that there are no mitigating factors against salvation and every single person will be right with God one day. Those are just a handful of the ideologies of our society. Is it any surprise then that we lack any sense of moral clarity? Is it any surprise then that our leaders can never, in many cases, stand up and make objective statements? Is it any surprise that truth is warped and narratives 
are shaped only to fit a particular point of view that often is completely antithetical to the gospel. Strap on the belt of truth, which we see holds everything together. Take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The sum of your word is truth. Psalm 119, 160 says, Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Every word of God proves true. Proverbs 35 says, Jesus declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. Righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. We read of it just a minute ago, didn't we, in Isaiah 59. It's there in Isaiah 59. Speaking of the Lord, how he put on righteousness as a breastplate. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, we see this again. Since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. This is what righteousness is. Righteousness is not just faith professed, it's faith possessed. It's not just faith claimed, it's faith shown. It's faith in word and faith in work. Faith and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Two things that are important to note about this righteousness. There's imputed righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ that's credited to you. Christ's righteousness is placed on you. Once we were tainted and covered by sin, now we are covered in Christ's righteousness. But now, after the imputation of righteousness, there's the reality that um, we are not called to continue in the sin that we were saved from. God saves us by His grace through faith, not by works, but for good works. God doesn't save us by grace through faith for bad works, does He? That doesn't make any sense. God is holy. Why would He save us for bad works? He saves us for good works. And we need to grow in these. This is imparted righteousness, which is God's gracious gift given from that moment of being made right with Him that enables us to strive for holiness and victory over sin. Are you beleaguered by your sin struggle? You have righteousness that's been imparted. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Arm yourself. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's there. God has promised it. Take hold of it and grow in it. This changes our morality, our mentality, and our motive. It's not our righteousness, it's God's righteousness that we now have. <coughs> Beyond righteousness, he says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. <coughs> we have a ministry of reconciliation. We have a gospel that is good news. Are we proclaiming it to this lost and dying world? Are we ready? Are you ready to take opportunities that are presented to testify to your faith? Or do you hide your light? There's the shield of faith. The shield of faith which is more than knowledge. Faith begins with knowledge. It continues with belief. It is a gift by God's grace. It affects our comprehension of everything around us. Particularly, we read... That 
and uh, Ephesians 3, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, that dynamic, dynamite power again to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness. Faith is crucial. Above all, in all circumstances, have this is what Paul writes, the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. The Bible, it's been said, is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, and a balm for every wound. You rob us of our Bible, and our sky has lost its sun. What if our Bibles are taken away? That's happened before. Uh, There have been many periods of time where people have not had the Bible in their own language. What then? Can we say thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee? Do we love God's word so much that its truth is embedded deep in us? We, We sing the song sometimes, take your truth, plant it deep in us. But do we, do, do we actually take responsibility to ensure that the truth is there? I feel like I'm really not growing in my Christian life. I occasionally hear people say, I feel, I feel like I'm really flagging. I'm like, okay, tell me why you think that is. Well, I don't know. I'm not really valuing. I'm not getting much out of Christian fellowship. You come once a month. How can you get anything out of Christian fellowship? You... you, 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 you interact with God's people minimally. You read God's word. You listen to God's word minimally. Why do you think you would be doing well? That's, that's the surprise. That's the shock factor. That's the concern. Why would anyone think that they can be in good health with a minimal appreciation of fellowship and partaking of God's word? The sword is blunted by our apathy. It's not just blunted, it's rusted. It cannot do anything. Because it's not sharp in us. Why? Because we're actually trying to stand in our own armor. It's not even the sword of the Spirit. Because we don't know the Spirit, perhaps. Or we grieve the Holy Spirit. With our apathy and indifference. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Yeah. And so there's so much more that we could consider that we could look at. But above all, the helmet of salvation, not salvation. In the sense that we already know, okay, well, how can I take the helmet of salvation if I'm already saved? Isn't that a given? Why am I actively having to put it on with this armor? It's not the salvation from sin as in our justification and that sanctification process. Remember, our Lord himself puts on the helmet of salvation. 
So that's not what we're talking about. It's not eternal salvation. This is, this is about the hope of salvation. What we're looking forward to that rids us of doubts, discouragements, and depressions. That centers us on the glory that awaits. Jesus Christ, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated in glory. Do you have that hope? If not, I want to invite you to step into that hope today. To come to Jesus, who will clothe you in His armor, who will equip you for spiritual warfare, who will make you an effective Christian warrior. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. We stand in Christ and in his strength alone. Let's stand and sing our closing song.